Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of What's the Deal with Seinfeld with me, Chris Milner. I'm very lucky to be joined today by probably the most famous person I've had on the show, despite <laughs> despite all of the very famous comedians I've had on. Bassist for Gypsy Punk, sensational band, and one of my favourites, Goggle Bordello, Tommy T. Governor. How are you, mate? What's going on, baby? <laughs> 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 Great to see you, man. Thanks for taking the time to do this. No worries. And just to contextualize uh, for some people who probably have no idea who Gogo Bordello are, you should get to know. Just Google, start wearing purple, and then look at the Coachella video from 2008, <laughs> and then ask yourself if you've performed to more people than uh, in that crowd just there in your life. And the answer probably is no. Um, I mean, wow. Good times. Yeah, dude, talk to me about that, though, because that was the first exposure I had to your band. Like, my wife got me into it. And then wow. watching that video, the vibe, even now, you can still feel it. I mean, what was it, what was it like? Well, it's, it's, it's always amazing to be in front of people that are absolutely losing their shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, because that's how we come on stage as well. So it's okay. We see the match, you know, let's, let's, let's see who can outdo <laughs> audience or everyone band. says that was your, th that was the best set of the, from what I've heard from the comments, everyone says that they were there. That was one of the best sets of the whole festival. Well, yeah, uh, it could be, uh, not, not to talk so much high of my own band, but, uh, come on, bro. Yeah. You know, the you're thing is you're surrounded by comedians. We have big <laughs> as big egos as any rock star. Well, this, this comes from many many more people that that said the same thing we are definitely not the biggest band or anything like that uh, obviously we're not even mainstream for that matter but when we come on stage we come correct yeah uh, so whoever follows up whether they're huge small whatever you have to kind of come correct uh, Usually we beat, <laughs> dude. That's exactly the same mentality as most comedians that go on stage. You want to yeah. be, you want to torpedo the other people. You yeah. want to make sure that you know when people are talking about, oh, what was your best set of the night? You're in the conversation. Yeah, right? and and the kind of music that we do sort of allows for that kind of an expression on stage. And the greatest part is people feel what we do, and we get it right back from them, and it just keeps going on. You know. How long have you been doing it now? It's as a matter of fact, this Halloween, this past Halloween, 11 years with Gogo Bordello. God. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And you've just got, uh, yeah, you've got you going around Europe soon. You probably, you're probably one of the most international. I had one comedian called Rob Mayer who did army bases. And so he'd been at quite a few places in the world, but they're all boring army bases. <laughs> uh, I've traveled quite a lot, but I think, you know, you've been everywhere, right? Pretty much. Uh, I guess uh, Asia w would be nice to do up and down, which I haven't done. The, the only place uh, we've done is Japan. Okay. Uh, as personal interest, I really would want to visit China, Vietnam, you know, all the Southeast Asia, stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I'm sure there's music everywhere. Yeah. It would be nice to get an opportunity to tour in that part of the world, which we haven't done. Outside of that, we pretty much have done it all. Yeah, I mean, I've heard down in certain countries down there, there's a lot of protest rock um, because of, you know, the, the years of, like, crazy governments and, like, suppression. And yeah. so there's, like, this sort of, like, you know, reaction culture out there. But I think it's still quite hidden. Um, yeah, and we, we, f we fit perfectly in that 
situation because you know punk punk music is is a rebel music it's mm. a protest song of course and just us as members of this band this collective being on stage together as a protest on what's going on in this in this world right now right because i yeah. mean you've got a real smorgasbord of nationalities and yeah. ages and yeah. you know backgrounds in your band all of that everything that people tell you is not supposed to be right yeah it yeah, is yeah yeah, yeah. and from, it all from, comes from together. the music industry and, and down you know what i'm saying yeah how, how in the hell you know they're going to represent us they, they don't know how to that's amazing. Yeah, but, but we do represent ourselves. And then, well. but then you've also got the mass appeal, you know, because you've got the intersectionality of everyone. And if you go, tell me, what's it, what's it like performing in like the Ukraine or Russia, where like Eugene's from, like the front man, like because yeah, pr- there's pretty, a lot of pretty pretty much similar to. Uh, <laughs> but like, there's performing. a lot of lyrics that are in, you know. Well, th- I think there's a lot more lyrics in English than anything else. Oh right? man, I really wish I could understand the Russian music. Every time I'm seeing yeah. along, I'm I just mean doing I mean gobbledygook. Uh, yeah. oh, oh, <laughs> you, you got to get into our line and notes and things like that because you know most of that is explained and and and, and over the years people would ask obviously. But uh, yeah, I mean th- the thing is, you know what you see in front of you is more more of the same because what unites us is there the music part so how people react to punk music is pretty much the same yeah most places some places might be intense i would say like portugal is really nice the the energy but it's different than the really nice energy in eastern europe for example Mm. yeah there's differences but the the energy still hitting you really nice and strong and they both react the same way so yeah, that that's that's the part that I absolutely love traveling because Ukraine looks the same as Italy sometimes. If <laughs> I, I I was putting words into your mouth with Coachella, but if out of eleven years, one show that really stands out in your mind, what would it be? Um, okay, uh, there is actually a couple of shows, but both happen to be in the same country. Funny enough. Okay. Uh, so uh, Denmark, uh, Roskilde Festival, right? Right. We've done it before. It's always great to perform in Denmark. Uh, but this time, we were not supposed to be performing at Roskilde. And, and on a prime night, a Saturday night, 8 p.m. slot, Lil Wayne canceled. <laughs> really? Yeah. And and we happened to be touring in Europe at that time. And they knew we were touring. So I think as a long shot, they called us and it's like, listen, the slot open. Is there any way that you can make it out here? And it happened to be... We were in northern Germany at that point, and we had a day off. <laughs> so on our day off, we go to Roskilde to perform on a Saturday night at the biggest stage at 8 p.m. Oh, my God. And we've played that festival. We love it, so we were happy to play. We were not making it to be such a big deal. But by the time we got there on stage, this place was completely lit up. About 80,000 people completely the energy is amazing and we didn't know what it was and we hit the first note and thing went crazy oh my god and done the show and later we started hearing many things about what happened so when little wayne canceled it was announced and the crowd completely was booing rescue that's probably hundred fifty thousand, you know kind of festivals one of the largest in the world and people were like really upset i guess and all of a sudden right away like the next day was announced that gogo berlin was taking the spot and the place was mental we <laughs> here so when we got on stage so they were waiting <laughs> with this anxious energy which was awesome for us and then we completely murdered it and in the following days when the press rates 
um, bands and things, we had six stars, which hardly was ever given, apparently. Out of how many? Five. Five. <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> out of ten, that's yeah, average. They, they do that. <laughs> they do that like really rarely, I think. So we were told that's a big deal. I, I don't really put a lot of weight on things this way, you know. Of course. I don't care about who wins awards or uh, you know, how many stars you get, but I loved playing there and it meant something to me and to the band. And and later on, seeing it described by the by the people that rate these things, they also got it. So that was cool. So that was the f- that you said there was two shows. It was S- that and the, the second one was a climate climate change conference that happened. The first one I think is in 2015, if I'm not. Yeah, I think tw- yeah. So sometime in December, mid December in Copenhagen, where all the presidents showed up for a big conference. Oh really? And because of the Roskilde Festival, the the thing that we did, we were invited to do this show. Oh right, yeah. piggyback. Yeah. So it was. It was so you got to perform to Obama. He wasn't. He the, the presidents were not there at the show, but <laughs> the, the conference was as big. All the major presidents and prime ministers and whatever they all showed up, so it was a big deal. And then this concert happened in a town square, in minus one degrees. Oh wow! <laughs> so we had three bottles of vodka on stage. That was just completely <laughs> done. Heaters. I mean, it was it was the most craziest show. You see snow flurries coming down, but we did it outside. Jeez. The same energy. It was it was fantastic. People were like mental. Wow. Well, yeah, so those two shows. Yeah, I've. Uh, I mean, I've got. I've got to ask all these questions because you know it. It, it is a wonderful band, and uh, you know anyone should really check them out. But moving back to Seinfeld, the reason we're both here. Yes, sir. Um, talk to me about your experience with the show. Well, I used to watch it. Uh, uh, I I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, I'm not a fanatic as. Some of my friends actually. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, but yeah, I, I did watch it whenever I could, and and even the rerun sometimes. Uh, Kr- Kramer is my my, my man. This <laughs> just just the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone always seems to gravitate towards someone. Yeah, I I have a bunch of friends that love George, for example. Yeah, me yeah. is is <laughs> one of those. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm uh, more on the Kramer side of things. <laughs> Great. Well, it's funny because this episode, Kramer, um, is interesting because I was reading the synopsis before I got here, and Kramer and Newman schemed to sell records in this one. So, bizarrely, oh, I have okay. a musician on when Kramer's yeah. selling records. Um, so, in this one, this is called The Old Man. It premiered on the 18th of February, 1993, and has an 8.3 <sighs> star rating on IMDb. Yeah, so that was... 1993. Yeah, wow. so that was twenty, yeah, 20 almost twenty five, over twenty five years ago. Yeah, wow, amazing. Yep, there you go. Yeah. You were here. You were already here. You were saying you've been here for thirty years. I was in college. Amazing, right? So Elaine, yeah, we're not that old. Don't worry about it. It's, <laughs> it's all good. I'm only seventeen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Elaine gets the gang to volunteer at an old folks' home. She gets freaked out by hers. George gets fired by his guy, and Jerry loses his. Kramer and Newman scheme to sell records to a vintage music store and steal the records from Jerry's old guy. Let's do it. Let's do it. And the credits are rolling. The timer's started. I like that episode. It's pretty cool. I, I like the the addressing age element in the sense that that scene at the end where it's the two old guys at the table bitching about the same things that all the 
you know, Jerry, George, and Elena bitching about kind of just shows that you just stay the same as you get older. Do you know what I mean? Like pretty I realized yeah, I'm 33 much. now, yeah. and I do not feel any younger than any older than when I was like 19. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, I guess you start feeling your age maybe if it starts affecting you physically. Maybe right, yeah. if you can't jump as high and you always play sports now, you slow down. Things like that would point towards uh, uh, age situation. But outside of that, the way I feel, I feel 17, man. I, I, I agree, <laughs> but I kind of feel like uh, as long as I've got my mental acuity, you know what I mean? I would, yeah. I would, I would rather have my mental acuity and not be able to, you know, put like do physical stuff. Me too, Rather man. than, you know, lose your mind. That's the scarier thing for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, the honest answer is, yeah, as the years go by, you, you start getting limited into what you can do physically. But the reason I don't feel my age or, like you said, you know, you don't feel any older. It's because mentally you're still on it, you know? Just about. Just about. Yeah. You don't see a goiter much anymore, do you? <laughs> no, you don't. When was the last time you saw a goiter? Uh, I can't say. There you go. <laughs> I, <think laughs> I can't the, say. I think <laughs> at the when the year 2000 came, goiters were just like, oh, no, we don't need these anymore. Yeah. I don't think people, <laughs> people need them. There's like solutions for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, man. I'm glad you enjoyed Newman as well. Uh, that was a good Newman and Kramer episode. Absolutely. And it has to do with records and things. Oh, dude. Yeah. I used to that, collect that records. That never changed as well. You got a record <laughs> collection? A small, oh, but a uh, yeah, small but uh, really nice one. <laughs> What's the best record you've got? Best and most expensive. Most important and most expensive. The two for you. If you had to save two. I don't have that. You don't have either? <laughs> I don't have that record. The most expensive. Well, S but you know some like randomly age well. Some so I have a unique one, I should say. There you go, yeah. All right. So a few years ago, uh, we were doing a U.S. tour. And... Uh, we were playing Kansas, I think Kansas City. Okay. And the next day, we were playing Iowa with Aretha Franklin. So that never, never happens. We will never be built on the same stage with Aretha or bands like that, right? Good and Lord, this no, is yeah. some sort of a, I don't want to call it a state fair, but it's some local organized thing for that local city. And it was not a big festival, but it was just us. And Aretha Franklin, and what I a contrast. I he went yeah, first. Yes, it's unbelievable, right? So, that day in Kansas, the day before, there was a record store across the street from where we playing at. So I went in there and found an original Aretha Franklin record. Oh. Bought it for maybe twenty dollars. So the next day, I had Aretha sign it. Wow. Yeah. So I have that. There you go. I don't know the story of that record. Just regular used uh you know that's a great one yeah so it happened that way so it's cool that i had a um when back when i used to d i used to dj back when i was um you know sort of in my early 20s and um me and my friends used to go to you know those huge drum and bass raves all the time like in oh the uk yeah, nice and um our favorite dj one of our favorite djs was a dj called mampy swift yeah um who's a wonderful guy yeah. and like we've seen him so many times that we ended up sort of becoming friends with him kind of you know and he recognized us yeah. and um it was my friend's birthday on new year's eve and we were planning to go to new year's eve uh, one of the big raves over new year's eve yeah. um and mampy swift was playing the midnight set nice. all right 
And so I, I emailed him. This was before like social media. I was like, hey, yeah. uh, you know, this is Chris. You know, it's my friend's birthday, you yeah. know, on New Year's Eve. We're coming to watch you, like, you know, really looking forward to it. Yeah. And on New Year's Eve, on his set with 40,000 people, we were right at the front, crushing in. Man P. Swift gets down from the, from the DJ booth with a copy of his new album. Nice. That he signed to my friend, Dear Phil, happy birthday, awesome. and like gave it to him in the middle of this rave. And you had everyone crushing the stage, you <laughs> know, because everyone was trying to grab it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, he was just like, you know, obviously off his head on drugs at the time. And yeah. then that's happening. And he just can't really <laughs> yeah. like, you know, process what's going on. And then later on, that record, uh, like months later, we were DJing, and uh, for some reason, <laughs> for some reason, he like mishandled it when he was putting it away, and it just flew out of the case, out of the window, uh, and then smashed on the ground outside his house. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah, I had to give up all my records because they were too heavy. Too heavy. Yeah, you sold them, or you still keep them? Well, my friend, uh, my friend that I DJed with, I basically sold him the whole, my whole, all my, okay. my twelve tens, my mixer, yeah. uh, my speakers, and my records. Because when I came here, I couldn't transport, transport that stuff because yeah. everyone had moved to CDJs or Final Scratch, yeah, yeah. and so the, the technology advanced without me. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I wasn't kind of willing to reinvest yeah. in the setup, and you know, it was I was a DJ because my friends were DJs. It wasn't because I was, you know, it was my passion. passion. I was yeah, just copying yeah. everyone else. Yeah. Um, but I had these one, this one record that it's stupid because I sold them all the records for like five hundred dollars. But there's a couple in I there. I, I would have bought it for six hundred. <laughs> there's a couple in there that probably you could sell one of them for that now. Like just wow. those random pressings of like you know dub plates or yeah. promo copings or See, white labels. I, I wish I had a good collection of like early jungle stuff, which I still love. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you know I wasn't into it when jungle was heavy. And when I started getting into it, you know, it's already CDs and things, so I I never really looked for records, and that kind of passed me. Now every once in a while, when I get a chance and travel, and we see jungle or drum and bass, something yeah. we will jungle go. Drum bass. Yeah, some of the stuff is fantastic. Oh, it's yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a uh, one of the actually even even like in London, man, Congo Nati opened for us. Oh, for real? Brixton. Congo Nati is a, a jungle legend. Yeah. Uh, where in Brixton? Because my sister lives. At the uh, Brixton Academy. At the Academy. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, we're playing it again now. Oh, the um, oh really? Yeah. I'll tell December. my sister to in go and to, to to try and go because she's just up the street. Yeah, we're playing it in December. I used to go to One Nation there. Uh, nice. That was the drum bass rave at the Brixton I Academy. I, st I still hang a hoot nanny in fucking Brixton. The hoot and nanny as well. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's where I hang when that's I go. That's a good club. It still does some good shows so there. Yeah, some really random the, good the shows. The vibe is awesome, man. Yeah, especially yeah, in the summer, man. Place. Yeah. And the vibe hasn't really changed, but it yeah. always used to be. Grimy. I saw some great stuff, great dub stuff. Yeah, yeah. There was also a show. Did you ever go to Mass? You heard about Mass in Brixton? There's this old abandoned church in I the know. middle of, um, in the middle of the roundabout, and they converted it into a venue. Wow. So it just looks like this completely derelict old church, and you go on the side, and it's just this incredible venue. That's awesome. That was a good one. Yeah, man. Yeah, can't wait to go back. <laughs> yeah, there's a funny story actually. One of the other tying it back in one of the other records that was uh, a record that I used to love and used to play was um, called Dis the Program by Nitrous Entertainment and it had an MC on it who was a Jamaican MC and lived in Nottingham which is where I went to college and nice. I bumped into him in a record shop 
and I was like, oh my God, you're the MC on that record. Yeah. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I found out he was from Jamaica. And my mum grew up in Jamaica. My mum lived yeah. in Jamaica from 55 to 74. And her parents wow. uh, were, well her dad was a headmaster in two colleges, a high school awesome. and a college. Awesome. So I was like, did you happen to go to the, do you know this high school? He's like, yeah, I went to that high school. And I was like, did you know this? <laughs> yeah, that was the headmaster. I was like, that was my that's grandfather. No way. Just so that's bizarre. So that's like bizarre, man. Just all that sort of stuff. Like, I swear you must see it a lot because you travel a lot. You realize the world's a small place. Yeah, I, I, that's that's the best thing about traveling, man, because something that's so far in disconnected culturally, language and, and physical location away from you, all of a sudden you do you go there and play, but all of a sudden it's not so far and you know away from you. Even even if you've never been there, the music, the way people react to you, kind of makes it you know. Yeah, and it's all home of a sudden, you're playing. yeah, all of a sudden the world starts shrinking, you know, because your experiences are not that much different, you know, things like that. I I, I completely agree, but I really think that that's a, a very exclusively. Um, international perspective i don't think that's a generally a very american perspective of the realization about how small the world is no it's not actually absolutely the opposite i would think i would say yeah yeah and, and i see it and, and everybody knows it and but except americans yeah and 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 that that's also easily proven uh, i'm sure things have changed uh, recently but i remember like maybe 10 years ago uh, there was a statistic that i read that said only 10% of the population owns a passport. Yeah, I read that as well. And out of the 10%, only 5% have used it. So mm -hmm. that's basically nothing. So if you don't travel around, in, not even in your own country, right? That's the other thing as well, yeah. is that America's yeah. not, America's a very diverse country and I've geographically. Been, I've been up and down this country at least twice every year. And, uh, and it's and beautiful. I've, uh, it's beautiful. It I've changes. All of it, and I can speak on how different and diverse and crazy upside down it is in some places, and you know, but that's just me. If you ask, uh, you know, people in, in Oregon, Americans, they might not know anything about people in Alabama except the stereotypical stuff that you hear. Right. They've never went and experienced how it is, what right. it looks like. Yeah. You know? Because uh, you don't need. You don't need a passport. You just need some sort of transport. Yeah. And, it's, uh, you know, these days you can basically see and learn about things so easily because of technology and stuff. But nothing like actually traveling and experiencing a conversation with a local person. Uh, I mean, as as basic as that sounds, that's what it means. No, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, aw it's awesome learning about a place from far yep. and getting, you know, information. But that information should help you while you travel there and learn about the I people. agree, because even if you learn as much as you can about something, you can never really speak on it unless you've experienced it because you sound like you yeah. don't know what you're talking about. You know, you could learn everything. I could learn everything I wanted to about Ethiopia, but I yeah. could never talk to you and school you about it because I've never been. Yeah, you know and, and, I mean? and you're learning from a written historical whatever, and it's also a single perspective. Mm. Wouldn't it be nice to have your own perspective on things, even though you learn it differently? Right. You go there and experience something. Now you can speak on it a whole new different way. Right. My mom and dad always told me travel is the best form of education, and it's the truest thing. Yeah, I, I, I can't say it enough. I mean, for me, this life is not easy. You know, traveling and being on the road is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, and it's it's exhausting and everything that you would think it would be. But it's worth it because you get to see the world and you get to meet people mm -hmm. and you get to play music. 
Yeah. Yeah, so you forget about all the hardship. <laughs> yeah, um, but my uh, my last guest was talking about something that Jerry Seinfeld said during um, the, at the beginning of the movie Comedian where he was recounting an anecdote um, where like a, a touring band um, broke down and they were like out in the rain, you know, and like carrying all their stuff, trying to get to a gig and walked past uh, a house, really nice house, looked in, saw the family around the table, 2.4 children, American picket fence yeah. and they just thought I'm so glad I'm out here in the rain in my band struggling <laughs> living yeah. this life than being that guy in there yeah and that's like the artist realization you know it's like you, yeah you'll take uh, the hardship yeah you'll take the bombs you'll take the bad sets you'll take it. the crap because yeah. when it's good you know that's it when it's good you know you can't beat it you can't beat it yeah you yeah. can't beat it yeah absolutely true yeah I think that as well this the fear that George has of dying <laughs> is rooted in, um, uh, I think, a theory called the human dilemma, which I learned by listening to this American philosopher called Rollo May. He says that ultimately human beings have anxiety because they're the only um, creatures that are aware of their own death. So they're aware there's a time limit on their life. And so they feel like if they don't make the most of it, then they're never going to get it back. And that's what creates anxiety and the need to create something. Um, yeah. And George doesn't care about that at all. He <laughs> just, like, he like, in the sense that, you know, all he wants is all the life he can rather than making the most of the days he has. I bet you, man, if there was a study done to find out the correlation between people that are scared of dying, I would bet it would be the same people that are scared of living. Ooh, deep and true. Yeah. Yeah, if you think about it, the person that's out there, like, you know, living every moment, just never thinks about dying or fear of dying. You know, they're absolutely full on engulfed in the living part. Yeah, and as also importantly, if they were to die, they yeah. would have no regrets with the way they live their life. No, so they would never be scared of dying. Yeah. And just knowing George's character, he's not so adventurous. No. Yeah, he's not about, uh, you know. Despite that sexual encounter at the yeah. end with the Senegalese <laughs> woman rubbing his bald head yeah, on her body. Yeah. The Gandhi <laughs> move, I think, that's yeah. what is g now going to be referred to. Yeah, which is a weird statement because uh, he he went for it even though he should be scared of that woman, right? He went for it because she didn't speak English. Yeah. And, you know, that that is also a funny idea. If you don't speak English, that means a, a guy that speaks English, an American guy, can have a better chance because of that, you know? If she spoke English, she'd be out of his league. Oh, for sure. You understand? Isn't yeah. that weird, though, with like to see it in this situation? Nobody will point it out, obviously. Yeah. Because, uh, but that's the truth. I mean, there's absolute truth in that. I uh, I have had girlfriends who where English wasn't their first language, and I found it difficult only in the sense that I couldn't be as funny as I as I wanted to be. Yeah, you know because like see I had to make sure it translated. Yeah, you know? uh, yeah, absolutely. Or y you would think a person that speaks a different language and is here probably is slightly more sophisticated than you are. So. Either you try not to be you and try to be that sophisticated person or not. That would be the reaction I would think. But the way George is reacting is, unfortunately, the, 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 the society is that way. 
and, and and it's sad, but it is it is it is the truth, and that's why we want to look at these things and make fun of them and things like that. You know, I would say even more painfully than that, I think that society's view is of um, that lady is more heavily that of the old man, that horrible <laughs> anti-immigrant suspicion yeah. that the old man had. Yeah. If you go, I mean, it's the same thing that led to Brexit in the UK. It's a similar yeah. thing that led to Trump getting elected there. There's just this fear of the unknown in this country, which I think harks back to the isolationist theory we were talking about earlier about Americans not really you know, having a wide understanding of the rest of the world. So when that outside influence comes in, in the form of immigrants, yeah. um, the first reaction often is fear because it's born through ignorance. Absol you know? Absolutely. That ignorance is uh, is basically uh, the the foundation for all this ugly stuff that we see. Yeah, and 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 all of that is wrapped nicely with greed. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. To, to just fuck things over just slightly. <laughs> well, and as well as that, the 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 fear of these old white men that empower that their time is up and they need to get as much money and power as they That's can, it. and you yeah, know, yeah, they'll do it through whatever means is it's necessary. The, it's the wounded animal syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't want to fuck with the wounded animal. Yeah, they're the the loudest and the nastiest, but you know, they're wounded. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully that animal will be put down. <laughs> Did uh, you see that the um, character's name in the show was Sidney Fields? Apparently that is uh, one of the characters from the Abbott and Costello show. Oh, okay. I yeah. didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I yeah. read it as a fun fact under the synopsis. But uh, yeah, I thought I'd mention that. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> 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 Newman talked about going postal as well. Yeah, man. It's... it's, it's, it's you can you can tie this episode that was done in 1993 to so many things that are happening right now. Oh yeah, that happens a lot, bro. That yeah, happens I a mean lot. it's very current situation, you know. <laughs> expand on that. Yeah, going postal. What are we talking about? Gun control, like massive shootings. Yeah. And 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 back in the days, the you know they were making fun of him because he's he's a federal employee. He's a you know works for the you know right the the postal service how many times you see an active shooter warning down at navy yard yeah i've i've must have seen 3 yeah. in the last 6 years yeah and 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 uh you know we do have the same issues today uh with the you know mass uh, shootings and things like that so we're still around you know the subject is not going away yeah i mean it's just i think that sadly that is as ingrained in the American culture as Seinfeld, um, you know that that gun culture, that gun yeah, issue. Because it's not a. It's it's I would. I. I, I don't really want to call it culture. Thing. It's the. Know? It's the most powerful organization. Uh, that's absolute ignorance. Uh, if you want to point to ignorant uh, behavior, that would be it. At one point, people have. NRA and whatever NRA is preaching, whoever these gun advocates are, hunting, all of that bullshit, and it's, it's absolute bullshit, and I have no problem saying it. No, I agree. Yeah, it's all of that. Somebody lied to them, and somebody taught them differently, and they held on to that culture, and they taught it to their kids yep. and whatnot. Right now, you can't, you can't beat it out of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean for some reason, just because they cannot buy guns, they think this is done. It's like the whole, like, I used to watch Westerns when I was younger. Me too. And, 
that culture, that cowboy culture is, you know, where it comes from. And that yeah. idea of the whole, uh, in fact, even the, <laughs> funny, leads back to the immigration thing, because generally the bad guys would be Mexicans. Yeah. You know, they'd be or they'd be dressed in black or they'd have some weird moustache or they'd yeah. be some sort of out-of-towner or outsider. Yeah. And then he'd come in and, uh, and everyone wouldn't like him and then guns would come out and that's it then they'd get blamed then the police would come and shoot the uh <laughs> the ethnic guy who yeah. turns out didn't even have a gun he had <laughs> yeah it's, 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 it's uh yeah it's, it's for me it's so like if i keep arguing with you like you know this laptop is white mm. how can we even start right because that's what it is right now for me it's mm-hmm. so clear where it is, mm-hmm. but you're not admitting this is a black laptop. Right. You're saying it's white. Yeah. So I have no way of really convincing you. We're so far apart. Yeah. I have no way of convincing you this is a black laptop. Yeah. I'm, it's so far away. W- if we had started from like dark blue, maybe have a shot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No. I mean, yeah. but it is like that. And I mean, it black, and, like black and white's a good analogy as well because that is how divided the issue is. You know, it's either one or the other. There's no real gray area for a lot of the people. Yeah. And also, it's not a good analogy because there's a racial dynamic there as well. The black versus white in this country that exists and, I mean, in around the world. But um, but even, even the black population in the Midwest, in the, in the rural areas, they're believers of this gun culture because they were also taught that way. So this is way beyond uh, 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 the racial divide as far as gun control. Unfortunately, you know, the black population has suffered a lot more uh, with guns, you know, uh, within the community and, and coming from the police as well. So they're more vocal now as far as, you know, advocating gun control, right? But outside of that, if you go to the Midwest or the South, and start getting to these small communities and find the black population and talk to them about gun control. Yeah, they wouldn't. They don't. You know, they don't want the gangs and the police brutalities and things like that. Obviously, but they're absolutely believers of this bullshit Second Amendment, right. which I don't understand it to start with. You know, a right to own a gun. Why would I have? You know, a right to own a gun. Why? Yeah. As a citizen, why would I earn that right to own a gun? What would I need it for? I don't understand this concept to start with. And 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 the rest of the population is absolutely bought into this. Yeah. And it's in their DNA. Yeah. So you cannot touch it. It's like fr- freedom of speech. Well, Jim Jeffries is an Australian comedian. He's got a very famous bit about gun control. Um, he, d- he just breaks down the the, the lu- ludicrous idea of exactly what you were just saying. I'll show it to you afterwards. And, and, and the people that have problems with guns are 99.9% male. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, so now we got to start dissecting the issue. It's not, it's not mental go problem. Go, no, go another step further. Uh, 99% of all mass shootings are white males. Yeah, white you know, males. Regardless of the fact that even if, you know, regardless of ethnicity, there's a gun appreciation and a gun culture in this country, the fact is when it comes to perpetrators of mass shootings, it's generally white males. When it comes to victims of gun crime, it's generally African-Americans. Yeah. When it comes to an ethnic person doing any sort of shooting, it's terrorism. When it's a white guy, it's a lone wolf. You know, there's just that whole hypocrisy to the whole idea. You know what I mean? Uh, Absolutely. And and we we see it every day. The second you open the TV, uh, you know, that's why you 
that's what you see. Yeah, well, president, president, yeah, president will come out and yeah, president will come out and say completely something different for for a thing that happened in Vegas uh, versus a thing that happened yeah. in in, in, in Texas, right? Yeah. I mean, in, in New York and all that stuff. And yeah, we just have to be awake, man. Really, this this ignorance is just getting tired. And yeah. and and I hope more people will speak about it. You know, yeah. Not 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 to turn away from comedy and things no, like I that, agree. but even comedy and music, these are the vehicles that the art, you know, right. needs to speak up on on the ignorance side. Because these those are the things that are going to make people feel something, you know. And at this point, yeah, people are becoming numb to numb to it. Yeah. And yeah. earlier we were talking about uh, you know protest songs and things like that. And and this is it. I mean, this is the time uh, in the civil rights uh, time in the sixties and stuff. You know, there was a lot of great music that came out and really carried over. And uh, and we're seeing bands say stuff, artists say stuff, comedians say stuff, and and more of that is how you start educating people. And and that should not stop. I think. I think for a while we were in La La Land thinking that everything is so smooth. Yeah, for they, sure. Yeah, especially the time this stuff came out, 93, 94, you know, the Bl Bill Clinton time, we thought everything was okay. Things mm -hmm. are blossoming. Everything is perfect. Yeah. Now we know that it's not. It was just yeah. a, it's a disguise. It's a facade. Yeah, it's a facade. Sort of the same way, like, oh, let's help the elderly, you know? It makes us feel so good. You know, that's the politically correct way of doing it. But once you get in there, it's not what you thought it was it's yeah. not about you it's about them if you really want to help yeah yeah so great point and a wonderful way to end uh thank you very very much for taking the time to do the podcast Tommy. yes sir and enjoy your europe tour and everyone should check out google bordello and um keep listening to the podcast thank yes, you very sir. much Peace.